Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. And we're back. Episode 24 of Triple Threat Theater. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Millsy. Mm-hmm. We've made it. To the end. Season finale. Season finale. Season two, Triple Threat Theater, episode 24. That's uh, it's a lot of episodes already. It yeah. doesn't feel like we've been doing the show that long. but It doesn't. But I, I even feel like it's best that I don't look to back to check dates or anything, because I'm going to be like, wow. <laughs> we've been at it a while. So Yeah. Well, Mills, let me just say this. Uh-huh. Just say, for instance, sure. Triple Threat Theater... There was no generating of random numbers. Just say uh-huh. that wasn't a part of the thing. Okay. And you know, we get to episode twenty-three, and we're like, "Oh, you know, we got to pick, we got to pick a doozy for the season finale." <laughs> I mean, would we even have had the fortitude to pick something as ridiculous and outright crazy as what we have here tonight? You know, I think that's why. That's why, to me, the random number generator idea mm-hmm. is necessary. Yes. Because, like, I can say all day long, wouldn't it be fun or wouldn't it be funny or wouldn't it be interesting to do certain movies? But then coming down to actually, like, deciding what to watch. Right. right. Like, we have over 200 trios of films laid out, ready for that random number generator to select them. How would we ever choose? <laughs> Yeah, unless we like went down the line, or we'd just be like, "Well, I guess we're just gonna flip a coin for the, you know, twenty to thirty or thirty-one to forty. I don't know." But yeah, that that's why the the random the random selection of which movies, like our input into what movies we're going to watch, is coming up with the trios. Right. So they're there, they're ready. We've had our hand in it, and then we just let fate take over. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's that's the important part because like. One of the three movies that we're going to talk about this episode, I've been wanting to watch for a very long time and, you know, could have at any point Mm -hmm. and just never got around to it. If it wasn't for this episode that we're about to do, maybe I never would have gotten around to it. Whether that's a good or a bad thing that I did, we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) True. True. Um, This show is an enabler for me. Well, same here. I mean, I've. I mean, pretty early on, that's kind of how it, how it really picked up steam. Was like, oh, it gives us a good excuse to watch a bunch of movies together mm-hmm. while living, uh, you know, thousands of miles away or whatever it is. Yeah, just another excuse to hang out, I know. even if it's over the internet. We do what we got to do, right? <laughs> and what better reason to hang out? Jeez. Than to come together to talk about three movies that fit the category big in japan i'm gonna blame this one on you yeah this was my idea yep i'm gonna go ahead you know 
this episode isn't going to go up for some time after we're recording it. Sure. Because we are still banking episodes and trying to stay ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to go ahead and guess that in the three weeks since we announced the theme for this episode on episode 23, if we got any guesses, a lot of them probably involved kaiju. Because big Japan, even though big in Japan is a phrase. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Some monsters in these movies, but no giant monsters. Certainly, no. Nothing big enough to stomp on a building. Yes, we've kept them more or less (laughs) human-sized. And probably more grotesque than any kaiju. Potentially, yes. Potentially. Uh, (laughs) So, for this episode, we are going to be talking about three Japanese films. Uh, Those films are, in order, Tetsuo the Iron Man, Zerum, and Tokyo Gore Police. Mm -hmm. Now... The one that I have wanted to watch for a long time is Tetsuo the Iron Man. Okay. It's just, you know, I feel like over a decade ago, just... Actually, you know, here's here's how I think I first heard about this movie. There's a website that a friend of mine and I used to go on all the time back like 15 years ago. It's still out there. I don't know if they update it anymore. But it was a website called Cyberpunk Review. Oh, boy. And it was a website devoted to like cyberpunk and like technopunk movies and books and things like that. Was it an Angel Fire site? Not far off. Like if you if you were to go look at it now it is still very old school gross looking. <laughs> you know, the whole thing is like designed to look kind of like the Matrix, so it's all like black background yes. with like bright green text yes. and everything. And I don't know if it was like a committee or one guy ran the site, but it was just like reviews of movies and things. And I think, you know, my interest, our interest, my friend and I in this thing was uh Probably largely because of The Matrix, and, mm-hmm. you know, watching movies like Virtuosity and Time Cop and shit like that. Millsy, and, how, sorry to interrupt. How hardcore of a Matrix fan were you? Pretty fucking hardcore. Me as too. As you can imagine. Not so much with the dress, but I did go as far as like finding and downloading a uh, Matrix code screensaver <laughs> that I could then like adjust speed, size, color and everything. Nice. I remember that in particular. It makes me think of that kind of website. <laughs> Probably pretty spot on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I already was wearing a black trench coat. Well, mm-hmm. not quite yet, I guess, but I did wear a black trench coat in high school, mm-hmm. more so because of Kevin Smith than anything. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole other story. Sure. But yeah, I used to, like, McFarlane Toys put out the action figures, and I collected all of them, and I had, like, the big Sentinel figure. And me the- too. Me too. That, like, little diorama of Neo fighting the guys in the uh, the hallway with the stairwell and all the weapons from I think it was reloaded and mm-hmm. all that shit. Uh, pretty big fan. Okay. I remember, like, see, I don't know why we're talking about The Matrix because no. this episode has nothing to do with it, but That's right. let's roll with it for a minute. When The Matrix came out, it was like a brilliant advertising campaign. You know, what is The Matrix? And I remember going to see the movie, not really, I can't even remember the circumstances under which, I know my dad and I went to see it together. Mm-hmm. This was, what, 99? Yes. Seeing it, being completely blown away, and then when it came out on video, uh, renting it immediately from Blockbuster or something and just taking it to a friend's house and not even watching the full movie, just fast-forwarding to show him all the action scenes. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. I like it. I like it. But uh, yeah, back to the point. So Tetsuo the Iron Man, very much a cyberpunk movie. Found out about it probably from that website. 
and just, you know, come across imagery from it here and there on Tumblr and whatever over the years. And I've always been curious about it, you know, knowing that it was black and white and that it was a low budget film and that it was about a man who turns into metal, his flesh turns into metal and knowing that his penis turned into a giant drill. Uh, mm. These are all things I knew and intrigued me about the film. Oh. And then what actually made me come up with this idea for this episode was uh, there's a Instagram account that I follow called Video Macabre. And the guy just takes like crazy special effects from like foreign movies and like obscure films like bloody scenes and weird shit. And makes like little one minute long video montages set to like weird electronic music. And he did a montage of a bunch of stuff from Zerum. And I had never heard of this one before. And I was just like, that looks fucking cool. And I bought the two-pack DVD set on eBay. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, now I need an excuse to watch this. So Wait, what's in the other part of the two-pack? It's uh, Zerum 2, the sequel. Oh, okay, okay. Which I haven't watched yet, but, um, you know, it's out there in the ether. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how this episode came together. And then I was like, well, I need a third movie to pair and I, Tokyo Gore Police is just another name that I've I've known about for a long time, and I was like, this is too perfect. Yeah, I was – Tokyo Gore Police is just a name I knew was in existence, just, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the stuff we're into and just like even like anime and comic conventions. Like I've just seen that one pop up over the years. Tetsuo, all I really knew about it was the name. Mm-hmm. And the poster, I know I had seen, and I always the name always stuck out to me because I knew like Tetsuo makes me think of Akira. Yeah, and then I feel Iron like Man most Americans me, they hear the name yeah. Tetsuo and that's what right. they think of. And Iron Man makes me think Iron Man, so it always kind of was like, well, there's that movie's out there, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, and then I believe you did send me that Instagram post of those crazy <laughs> Zerum scenes, and I was like, oh, yes, <laughs> yeah, all the way, yeah. yes. That's my favorite thing to do is just when that guy posts a new video, I just like send it to whoever I think it would be relevant to. Mm-hmm. That one had like a lot of weird monsters and things in it. So I was like, Dax needs to see yes, this. You're right. Yeah. So that's the making of how, how we decide to mm-hmm. do a, a trio of movies. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the random number generator gods uh, have Bless, brought us here. They so. blessed us once again. Yeah. Capping off uh, season two with. A real doozy. The This conversation from here forward could go any number of ways. Yeah. I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again because the amount of episodes we have ahead of us, I don't have the foggiest idea how you're going to come out on this. <laughs> Not even yeah. remotely. Honestly, me neither with you. Like All right. every one of these movies, as I watched it, I was like, man, I don't know if Dax is going to love this or hate it. <laughs> so... I can't wait to find out. Let's say we get into it. Uh, oh, yes, please. Because there was several times where I was like, oh, I fucking hate this. I bet Millsy loves it. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, for starters, let's go with Tetsuo the Iron Man. Uh, released, I believe, in 1988.
this was a super independent movie, and um, I don't know how long it was completed before it finally started to gain traction. From what I understand, uh, based on what I read, um, the movie just kind of flew under the radar. No one would watch it or like show it anywhere for the most part until uh, the director got it into the Fanta Festival in Rome, which is like mm. a genre film festival in 1989 and it kind of caught fire from there and then had a long run in japan in like midnight movie screenings kind of Mm -hmm. i see that for sure and then i guess because of the exposure in rome it got like a vhs release in the united states and apparently had a a limited theatrical release here too which blows my mind (laughs) after watching the movie this one like i said black and white super independent uh, it's only an hour and seven minutes long. Mm-hmm. Our shortest movie by far. Yeah, which uh, I'll be interested. I'll throw it over to you to hear if the uh, hundred and seven minutes or, or one hour and seven minutes left you wanting more, or was a sweet release when it was over so soon. Um, I'll tell you, this was the last one I watched, mm-hmm. and. By the time it was over, I said, I'm glad that wasn't any longer. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to say, like, this This inter- this conversation will be interesting because I'm not going to just trash everything. But um, this one in particular uh, feels – it's got, like, certainly, like, the, one of the most art house feelings of anything we've watched yep. on the show, period, especially with this episode. Super independent and mm-hmm. like expressionistic, and like when you think of super indie film and mm-hmm. almost like pretentious, although yes. I, I guess there is some pretension to this movie, but like I, what I what it what I immediately think of when I think of like super artsy fartsy independent film is uh, the episode of The Simpsons, A Star Is Burns, where uh, there's a uh, uh, independent film festival in Springfield and Barney makes a movie uh, Barney, like the town drunk that despite the fact that he's like a, you know, just a belching slob makes like the artsiest thing where it's like shots of like roses and like yes. curtains flapping yes. and just uh-huh. like, uh, like a narration over the top of it. Don't cry for me. I'm already <laughs> dead. Like just, <laughs> That's what I think of, and this is kind of like the super low-budget, weirdo, mm-hmm. extreme Japanese yeah. version of that, I feel. I mean, quite quite a while into this movie, I stopped and I, wait, I said, wait, is this dubbed or subtitled? Because there hasn't been any instance where that was a factor yet. <laughs> yeah, very little dialogue in the <laughs> film. I'm wondering if it had like post-recorded, like uh, dubbed in dialogue, even in, in its native language. Because there is so little. Yeah. And that would be a good reason to have little dialogue because it would be hard to put it in. But I did read that when it played that Fanta Festival that took off and like made it popular, it it played in Rome. So most people don't speak Japanese. And the filmmaker couldn't afford to have it subtitled. So it played like the people who watched it in Rome at that festival had no idea what anyone was saying. (laughs) No way, really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Which probably added to the like weird avant-garde nature of the movie, honestly. 
Help me with this one. Back to uh, our episode, Max Ploitation. Didn't you tell me that a lot of a lot of these movies would do the they would re-record all the dialogue later, anyways, because it was mm-hmm. cheaper to do that. Yep. So uh, the movie uh, Quentin Tarantino's latest movie, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Remember the segment of the movie uh, it, towards the end where Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt go to Italy to make like a couple of mm-hmm. movies? Yes. Quentin Tarantino, or uh, is it Kurt Russell who does the voiceover of that part, like explaining what happened when yes. they were over there? Yes, yes. Uh, he actually, Quentin Tarantino wrote in dialogue where he explains that like Leo, his character thought it was weird that they like recorded all the dialogue after the fact and everything. Like he actually talks about it in that movie. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, that's that, a lot of uh, like Italian films, lower budget movies, especially back in like the 70s when you had to separately record sound like you didn't you couldn't have like an iPhone with a microphone in it at the same time you're recording, you know. Right. It was just easier and cheaper to do that depending on the production. Mm-hmm. I mean, with that, all that being said, Mills, this this one felt like every kind of I would say. Anytime I'm in like a contemporary art museum and there's some kind of audio visual like display, this reminded me of like every one of those I've ever walked out of. <laughs> yeah, like you could just turn off the audio and have it playing on a bunch of screens with like flashing lights around the room Absolutely. and like weird amb- ambient music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this one, re- it's tough to describe the like the tone and the look of the movie. I mean, it. so this film, like I said, I had been, like, wanting to watch it for a long time. So I think that alone probably meant that I was a little more, like, tuned into it while I was watching than potentially you, who was just like, okay, what's this movie Ryan wants me to watch? Mm-hmm. But still, you know, I, I knew the basic concept of what the movie was going to be about, a guy, like, turning to metal. Uh, I mean, the plot of the movie is even... Like I sat here with the the Wikipedia page open on my phone and like every 20 minutes I would just glance down at my phone and like read the plot synopsis up to the point where I was just to make sure I knew what exactly <laughs> uh-huh. was happening. I actually did the exact same thing. So yes. Yeah, because I mean essentially what I could have told you without reading Wikipedia was that the, the movie opens on a guy who cuts his own leg open and jams like a metal rod into his leg. And then uh, he, like, runs screaming out of his house when the wound gets infected and there's maggots in it. And then uh, he's, like, not looking where he's going and someone hits him with a car. And then it just cuts to random businessman in wearing glasses uh, who is attacked by a woman who has, like, robotic parts on her body. And then he go he he's like starts to turn into metal himself slowly, almost like the fly, but with metal instead of a bug. Mm-hmm. Um, has a long scene where he like has sex with his girlfriend, and then his penis turns into a drill, as I mentioned, and she dies. Uh, and then the guy from the be- you find out in flashback that. The businessman and his girlfriend were the people who hit the guy in the, in their car, and then instead of like helping him, they dumped his body in the woods and like fucked while he watched as he died, or they thought he was dying. Mm-hmm. And then that guy who they hit with their car isn't dead; he turns to metal also. And then they have like a really low budget battle: him and the the other guy, the businessman, is turning to metal. 
And then at the end, they like decide to team up. They morph their bodies together and decide that they're going to go on a rampage and turn the entire world to rusty metal, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's what I could tell you without reading the plot synopsis. So, yeah, I think even if you read the plot synopsis, that's basically what it's going to give you. Yeah, there was there was a little more context and stuff in the yeah. plot synopsis that I wouldn't have gotten, but right, like when the girl died from his drill penis, uh, I was confused as to how she even ended up on top of it. But according to Wikipedia, she purposefully sat on top of it to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have gotten that because she, <laughs> yeah, because the synopsis says she stuck him with the knife to kill him and then killed herself because of guilt or something. Yeah, and already I'm sure that people listening to this who have never heard of this movie before must think we're fucking insane. <laughs> but yeah. well, this is a movie that exists. Un- yeah, fortunately or unfortunately for some. Run so around. it's one of those things where like, I had seen imagery from it, and I knew the basic premise was a guy turns to metal. And like that right there sounds interesting to me. Um, yes. And it's a case of like this movie is very artsy, just like people cackling maniacally and random quick cuts to weird images and, and, and like crazy sound effects. And it doesn't have a really clear, concise narrative. But just that premise of like kind of like the fly, but a guy turning to metal instead and then going crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that could make a really interesting oh, sure. movie. I mean that that works all day. To me, yeah. it, to me, it you know, it's all in the tum- presentation. <laughs> tumbles out of control once you start throwing in the fetishy sex drill penis stuff, which you know just is too much for me to even take it seriously at that point. Yeah, you know, it definitely has a little bit of a trauma vibe mm-hmm. <laughs> because of how low budget it is and. You know, drill penis. He doesn't like. There's certain parts of his like transformation that don't look too bad. You mm-hmm. know, like probably before the girlfriend dies, and it's like kind of just like taking over his face. Mm-hmm. I thought it actually kind of like looked better than I was expecting it to. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where it's like black and white, high contrast. You can't a hundred percent tell what you're looking at like i'm not sure if he was supposed to be fully metal or like biomechanical where there was like flesh mixed in there too because it's harsh stark black and white and you can't really tell very at times it looked better than others you know Mm -hmm. but i mean super duper low budget uh it actually i couldn't believe this i read that it took 18 months to film this really which just boggles my mind even with a low budget like so apparently this guy, uh, Shinya Sukamoto, who directed this, and I think this was like his first feature-length film. Uh, he had made some shorts before. He filmed it over the course of 18 months with like a crew of people. I'm assuming people he knew because he was in like theater and stuff. Uh-huh. And the majority of it was filmed in uh, the girlfriend's apartment from the movie. Her name is Kei Fujiwara. And apparently it was just like such a grueling... Uh, process that um, the the lead actor who played the businessman who I guess is Tetsuo they never name him oh, in the yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. He said in an interview that like the majority of the crew was just like all living together in that woman's apartment, mm-hmm. 
And he was like the only person who decided not to do that and like live away from them because he felt that it could like hurt their relationships if they're like around each other all the time. And apparently as the production went on, like people would just like leave until at the end of the movie, it was really just like three people, like the two actors and the girl because everyone just kept abandoning them because of how like grueling the process was. If you think about it, I mean, 18 months is a long time to be making that. I know a movie that only ended up being a little over an hour. <laughs> right? Is there a five-hour cut somewhere? In, Not to my in... knowledge. I think what you see is what you get. And the director even said uh, that after filming the movie, mm-hmm. and like before it kind of hit it big, when it was just kind of like no one would watch it, he considered burning the negatives just because the production had been such a bad experience, and oh, he was wow. kind of over it. Well. And I think that there's a couple scenes where it seems like Tetsuo, I'm just going to call him Tetsuo, um, where he seems to be like running around the city, maybe on rocket skates or something, because Mm -hmm. it's like sped up speed traveling through the city. So, you know, that could have eaten up some days of time filming, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like stop motion. It's that thing... I've seen people do it before where, like, you just take a person, you sit them on the ground in the middle of a street and have them hold their hands out in front of themselves as though they're holding a steering wheel, but they're actually just sitting (laughs) on the road. Yeah. And then, like, you take a frame and you have them scoot forward and you move the camera back and you keep doing that so that the person stays in their seated position, but they're, like, moving. It's like Mm -hmm. stop motion with people. Mm -hmm. And any time they have characters running through the streets it's like that they just have the characters pose and then like they must have just ran down the street like doing that pose and taking single frames yes. over and over and yeah, over yeah, again yeah, yeah. for no, for no good reason that i could understand aside from it's it just adds to that like crazy weird avant-garde tone of the movie mm-hmm. it's just like hey here's a weird visual we're gonna do no yeah. reason why I mean, that's the only way to describe it is like the avant-garde cinema. Yeah. You know, it's funky. It's a funky movie, man. It really Mm -hmm. is. So, yeah, I mean, definitely didn't live up to my expectations because like I say, I've been like wanting to see this vaguely for, I don't know, 15 years or more, something like that. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's a movie... People like, I believe it's got like a 77, 78 or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Um, it's, it just feels like it's kind of like one of those movies people like acknowledge its weirdness. And that's, and if you go into it expecting that, mm-hmm. then you find the enjoyment. I mean, that's not really a factor for me, but, I, you know. It does just make you wonder, though, like. You know, something like John Carpenter's The Thing is a movie that people saw and largely didn't like or disregarded, including critics and audiences and all back in 1982 when it came out. And nowadays it's, you know, among people who've seen it pretty much universally regarded as like a classic and a movie that deserved a lot more praise than it got. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why did that movie, when people seem so willing now to say how amazing it is, why did that, like, not speak to people back then? But then, you know, and, and not to directly compare it and say, like, oh, the thing is more deserving than this. But sure. just, like, that, for whatever reason, in that moment in 1982, didn't connect with people. But then, obviously, Tetsuo the Iron Man isn't, like, as big of a 
hit at least out you know in America as say the thing is now right um in popularity but you know it time and place that film festival the right audiences and then word of mouth and uh it ju- it it did become a little bit of a cult classic for sure right um i mean i even read that uh apparently japanese films had largely been ignored i, I don't know if it's because of a broad opinion on their quality uh independent japanese movies at the time but had largely been in, in, ignored by international film festivals for a while and tetsuo's success kind of prompted a revival of Japanese independent cinema in the 1990s and helped them gain more of an international audience. Oh. It almost feels like a little in a little bit of a way what kind of, you know, Reservoir Dogs and Clerks did at a certain time sure. for uh like independent cinema in America maybe. Yeah. And it's I mean the movie is noteworthy for no other reason than that. I mean, it obviously connected with a certain subsection of people in a yeah. significant way i mean i'd love to even like do the research to see like you know was there anything even remotely like this out in japan yeah before or soon before you know could this mm-hmm. have just been like that much of a left field idea yeah i don't know Yeah, because it feels like there had to have been if there was something else like it it wouldn't have been too hard for this other thing to be of better quality but right yeah so like end of the day um you know, it was not the most like gripping watch just because of the way that it's presented. Mm-hmm. But my curiosity factor from wanting to see it for so long definitely uh, kept me engaged for the admittedly short run time. But yeah. um, probably a movie that's a one time watch for me mm-hmm. and uh, not something I will be necessarily recommending to anybody. Right. But, uh, you know, I am personally happy to have checked it off of my uh, bucket list. I mean, it is one of those, I guarantee we could go on, I don't know what we would Google to have, what kind of like lists for 80s, 90s, sci-fi, you know, uh, independent, whatever. Like, it's going to pop up on a number of lists. So, Mm -hmm. for that same reason, man, I'm I'm glad we watched it too. Yeah. And I haven't seen uh, David Lynch's Eraserhead but many times on the internet when I was doing some research on this movie, I saw people say that it was like the Japanese Eraserhead. Mm. So I've never seen that before either. Black and white. I know Eraserhead's weird. I've seen like sequences with like the weird alien baby or whatever the hell it is. So All right. All right. Maybe this is the Japanese Eraserhead. <laughs> All right. Starts new trifecta. Weird stuff like Eraser. Okay. <laughs> well, there are two sequels to Tetsuo, so if you wanted to put uh, Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer <laughs> into a list with uh, with Eraserhead and find a third one. Oh, God. I, now I have to. I have to. <laughs> I do like two. that title, Body oh, Hammer. The body Hammer. <laughs> and then the third one, which came out way later, is called uh, Tetsuo the Bullet Man. Yeah, it's all right, but it's no Body Hammer. Yeah, Body Hammer is a good title. Yeah, but yeah, the director went on to make like a whole bunch of other movies, mostly like his own productions, but a couple of studio films. Not a whole lot I had ever really heard of, but uh, the lead actor who played Tetsuo, he went on to be in some Gamera movies. Uh, oh. He was in the 
Japanese film adaptation of Junji Ito's Tomi manga. Oh, that's your jam right there, Mills. Yeah. Uh, he was in, I mean, a bunch of stuff I've heard of, like Cayman Rider, I've never seen, but he was in some Cayman Rider. Okay. There's a there's a manga called Gantz, G-A-N-T-Z. Yes. He yep. was in a movie version of that. Oh. He was in Takashi Miike's Dead or Alive, so he got some work out of this. Well, I mean, the this this episode is certainly some body horror action. So, in that regard, how do you rate the that aspect of Tetsuo the Iron Man? Um, I mean, I just find that premise interesting. Uh-huh. The whole like a person turning to metal. Honestly, a person turning into anything. I love that no. shit. Um, I would say. The closest comparison, although I don't know if they're that close, is the fly, which I think I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just imagining like this basic premise, but just done a little more straightforward, obviously with a little bit bigger budget. I would be very interested to see what that movie could have been. So maybe Body Hammer is the movie for me. I don't know. I know that the oh. sequel had a bigger budget. But uh, okay. yeah, just in ge- I mean... You know, you have great special effects in something like The Fly, and that adds, you know, along with everything else, uh, the budget and the the acting and the look of the film and the, the premise and everything, that adds a lot. This was missing a lot of that, but just at its core, I definitely still liked the body horror element of it. All right, so the modern remake, we'll just call it The Body Hammer. Who's directing it? <sighs> um... Maybe uh, Brandon Cronenberg, oh. David Cronenberg's son. <laughs> okay. All right. Hit me with a, a curveball there. I like it. Okay. All right. Uh, he's only made one other movie that I'm aware of, but I saw it. It was a body horror movie, and I liked it. I was skeptical because it's the son <laughs> of the guy who invented body horror, basically, and I was uh-huh. like, there's no way. And it's actually pretty good. What's it called? Uh, antiviral. All right. All right, scribbles that Scribble that down. down. <laughs> okay. All right. Very good. I mean, I've been listening to a lot of the Shockwaves uh, horror movie oh. podcasts lately, and they interview a lot of interesting directors, so I could probably name any of the people they've talked to on there recently. Or, I mean, I, I've gone back and I'm, like, listening from the beginning, like, 150 uh-huh. episodes ago because I've just got into it recently, but... Uh, same here. This isn't a thing we ever do on the show, but we give a shout out to Shockwave's podcast. People should check it out because it's, uh, tons of good, like current, like horror movie news and interviews and. But I love that every episode begins with all of the hosts just talking about what they've seen lately. And frequently it's just crazy old shit. Like I have a list on my phone that I keep of like all of the things that they talk about that I'm interested <laughs> in course, watching. Of course you do. I love it. So you got a full, I, mean, I, full I got probably list. plenty of episodes of triple threat theater lined up right here on my phone that I haven't even put together yet. Millsy, don't threaten me with a good time. Just send it. <laughs> uh, um, all right. Anything else about uh, Tetsuo? No, I feel like we've covered. All right. Uh, then let's bounce over to, 1991's Zerum. Get back! Get back! 
I was definitely not sure how to pronounce this title until I watched the movie. Yeah, they do say it in the the dub that we watched. Yeah. I started this movie subtitled, Mm -hmm. and they do pronounce it the same way in Japanese. Yeah. But unlike, like, I'm usually really good with subtitles. I'm cool with subtitles. I have no problem watching movies subtitled. This movie, more so than most uh, Japanese films I've watched, they were just, the subtitles were going by too fast, and I couldn't Mm -hmm. keep up. And I don't know if it was the pace of the dialogue or if it was just, like, the subtitles just weren't on screen long enough or something, but I had to switch over after like 20 minutes to the dub. So I, um, it kind of depends. It's usually like a mood thing for me if I'll do dubbed or subtitled. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, I watch this dubbed as well. I usually prefer to watch a movie in its original language. Just if I have the option, Mm -hmm. just because I kind of want to experience it the way that, you know, it was made. And like I said, I'm cool with subtitles and, it doesn't take me out of the movie at all. Just this yeah. is one of those few instances where I just literally I, ha- I kept having to rewind. And after like the fourth or fifth time, I was like, all right, this is like inhibiting my ability to watch the movie and enjoy right. it. Right. So, yeah, sometimes with like uh, anime, I'll do dubbed a lot just because I want to be able to. I don't want to spend too much time reading if I'm looking at what I was being animated, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's usually more of a factor for me, but. Yeah, I tend to see, especially in Boston. There's a, there's been plenty of times I've gone to see like you know Japanese films that of course are going to be subtitled, not dubbed, and mm-hmm. it's never a problem. I mean, I love it too, just for the same reasons. Just to you know hear hear it in its native language is always better. Yeah, and like a movie like this, I mean, the voice acting is pretty <laughs> right. pretty goofy, and mm-hmm. I mean the movie isn't meant to be a hundred percent taken seriously either. But right. um, you know. Helps yeah. me maybe take the film a little more seriously if it's not just ridiculous, like poor American mm-hmm. dubbing. Well, Mills, but, uh, by all means, let's give the people a synopsis, please. Oh, um, so Zerum is the name of the villain in this movie who is some kind of crazy alien that starts out the movie looking like a mysterious cloaked samurai with, uh, like, a rice hat on. Mm-hmm. But uh, underneath is actually, like, a crazy fucking mutating alien thing. And essentially, uh, this alien named Zerum has escaped from, like, space prison or something and is on his way to Earth. And uh, an inter- or like an intergalactic uh, police cop woman and her AI robotic sidekick named uh, Bob. Bob of all things. Yeah, Iria and Bob. Uh, They come to Earth and they set up a thing. It took me a good long while to understand what exactly the premise was here, but they set up a thing called a zone, which is where they create like a duplicate, like it's like they create create from scratch an alternate dimension that is like an exact duplicate of an area that they're in. Right. So that when Zerum lands, her hope is that, you know, he'll be in this alternate dimension and not immediately know it. So she can like go in and try and Mm -hmm. capture him. But being in the alternate dimension, there will be no like innocent bystanders around for him to hurt. For the kids, it's like the upside down kind of and stranger things where, you know, it's the, it's a mirror mirror verse, but none of the people are there or anything. Yeah. And so she sets this thing up and um, 
she's going to go into the zone after him and capture him for a bounty or, or something. I, I don't know if she, was she a cop or was she a bounty uh, hunter? I don't think they actually even says. No, I think it's bounty because I think, I believe they, Bob talks about them getting paid for it at some time. Yeah. And there was one point where like she wanted to use this like crazy super weapon and he was saying like uh, it was going to cost them like 30% of their their pay to use this weapon for some reason or I don't exactly know but uh so plan is capture him in the zone without him knowing go in and get him um so she's here on earth undercover as just a person cuz she just looks like a human and she's shacked up setting up all of her like electrical devices and like her zone generator and everything in this abandoned building and meanwhile a couple of bumbling jokey Doofuses. electricians yep. <laughs> are uh, are sent out there by their boss because there's like an unusual amount of power being used so they they go out there they stumble upon her little lair and through a series of events these two guys accidentally end up going into the zone with her and Zerum and then they get trapped there and she gets trapped outside of the zone so it's these two guys trying to ev- avoid Zerum until she can make it back in and try and, and capture him. Right. Well done, Mills. Yeah, I feel like that was a little more long-winded <laughs> than it needed to be. But as with a lot of these like Japanese sci-fi films, it's very confusing and convoluted. Yeah. This one, just based on the premise and everything, the design of Zerum and all that stuff and like her costume and like the, you know, Power Rangers style poses she would do and stuff. Mm -hmm. I would have bet you anything that this movie was a live action adaptation of a anime or a manga. Yes. But it, it is not. There is an anime. I think it's only like six episodes and it's actually a prequel to this, but it came out after this movie. Like this was an original idea by the director. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting the way you described it because at whatever point while I was watching it, it felt like an adult Power Rangers kind of episode. Yeah, Power Rangers with, like, blood and guts yeah. and, like, a much more grotesque monster than anything Rita Repulsa would ever send right. after them. Like, it had all of that, but then it still had, like, the costumes, the poses, and then, like, whenever anyone shot something, it was kind of just, like, firecracker sparks. Yeah. Which is, like, right out of Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, uh, Iria, there's a part where, like, she decks herself out in, like, futuristic, you know, bounty hunter armor. And it's, like, she just, like, swings her arms around and goes into a cool pose. And then, like, there's glowing 80s style, you know, yes. drawn on the, the uh, like, picture frame yep. effects. And then, uh, like, uh, armor appears on her. And oh, yeah. When she's fighting hand-to-hand with Zerum, there's a lot of, like someone jumps and then it cuts to a low angle of someone probably bouncing off a trampoline and doing a somersault over the camera <laughs> to make it look like they're way in the air, yeah. that kind of shit, you know? Uh-huh. I don't hate it for that, Millsy. No, I would think you would love it for that. I did. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Um, so like I said earlier, my original impetus behind wanting to watch this was the cool ass, crazy looking monster effects. A lot of that stuff doesn't come until the end, but right from the beginning, so, like I said, Zerum is wearing it has this thing on its head that looks like a big serving platter turned upside down. It, uh-huh. Like it looks like a black rice hat, and then there's a little like humanoid face on it, and 
whenever that thing would like emerge from the hat, uh, it was like a big, long Japanese penis tentacle, like mm-hmm. we're all aware of from right. the internet. Mm-hmm. So that right there is already like this ain't uh, this ain't your normal Power Rangers type of no, movie. No, no. I mean, as soon as the the little face like wakes up, it's like it looks like kind of like a kabuki mask, and it wakes yeah. up and starts smiles before it kills one guy. And I was like, oh, here we go. I was like, that's surely going to be a tentacle at some point. <laughs> yep, sure enough, it was. Definitely is. I will say, Zerum looks awesome. Mm-hmm. I think he's way cool looking as a villain and a creature. Yeah. I also love the, the – I love when a movie's named after the bad guy. So that got points <laughs> for me too. Yeah, that name Zerum could have been anything. Uh, you want to know why Zerum looks so awesome? Yes. The director of this movie, Keita Amamiya – is known more so than for being a director as a character designer. Oh. And he has designed characters for animations such as Ultraman and Kamen Rider. Yes. And video games such as Clock Tower, Onimusha, and Final Fantasy. Yeah. So, like, he was just like a character designer and, like, animator, and then was like, yeah, I'll make a movie. Mm-hmm. And, like I say, it feels like it's based on a manga or something because the look of Zerum and like the look of like the technology where Iria can like shoot this little thing and when it attaches to you, she hits a button and it like surrounds whatever the little thing she shot out is touching in like a like a crystal, yeah, like a prism cell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it all looks like stuff that would have come from a manga or something, yeah. but it just comes from that dude's imagination because he's like a artist and a character designer. And I, I even feel like the Kabuki, the Kabuki mask in his hat thing, like feels like something I've seen a bunch of times, mm-hmm. but I'm not exactly sure. Or it's just from this. I don't really know, but yeah, I mean, it's a very common kind of look. I feel for, like you said, Kabuki mask. Yeah, but, but just like the being integrated into like the larger thing as uh, part of the dress. I don't know, but but then he's got like the Cyclops visor that looks cool and just the whole mm-hmm. kind of weird cape action. And then he's gross underneath once he takes starts taking off some layers. Yeah, and that was the stuff that really intrigued me. Mm-hmm. Practical effects don't look convincing, but they do look really cool. Yes. And I don't think that effects like practical creatures and like puppets and things have to look 100% real as long as they look awesome right. and I'm into the movie or the show or whatever enough that, you know, it doesn't take me out yeah, of it. Yeah, I mean, I would literally, I would say like the same way for me, like, does it look cool? Yes or no is when it, that's where it starts for me. Yeah. Like maybe, I don't think the CG and the... 2011 thing movie is like the best right but maybe that stuff looks more realistic than rob botin's you know effects in the 1982 thing but they i mean the ones in the 1982 movie have a cool design right they're lit well in most instances to the point where they you know it's it's hiding the seams and i'm like into the movie so much at any given point that I'm not taken out by the fact that they don't look 100 percent real, right. you know. And that is that's just that's just part lacking. of movie magic from back then. Sure. And all of that stuff is lacking in that terrible sequel, so that's a good yeah, point. Yeah, 100. percent So in this movie, like I'm not as invested in it as I am like a lot of my favorite classic like monster movies and stuff from the 80s or whatever. 
But, um, you know, I'm in it enough that it doesn't take me out of it how, like, clunky the movement is for mm-hmm. the creature. Just because yeah. more than anything, when it, like, takes off its armor or whatever and it goes through a couple different stages of transformation, it's just so crazy and unusual that I'm just kind of in awe of, like, wow, they went for it with the design yeah. oh, of this yeah. thing. I mean, I love it for that. I think I through all the transformations and just even like when he's like stomping around, it's just it's like a familiar look and feel that uh-huh. like I've grown up with. So like, you know, that made me enjoy it too. You know, it just felt like like I said, I feel like for me it's like a an adult kind of version of things we grew up with. Mm-hmm. For sure. I really do think what you said about it feeling like an adult version of Power Rangers is very apt. Yeah. Um, because it has that same look and feel just not kid friendly right (laughs) and i mean that final transformation one of i think the best looking effects in the movie is at the end of the film it seems like zerum like is basically like its core of its being is in that rice hat thing Mm -hmm. and it can like float around and the little head is in it and at the end of the movie when they think that they've beaten him and they bring it back into the real world, and then it escapes its little prism, and it, like, grows up out of the rice hat-looking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that transformation was, like, one of the best-looking things in the movie, and I thought that looked amazing. Once it's fully transformed, it's a little more goofy again, but... Yeah. but even God, like I just the- love how they went they went there all the time with yeah. the effects in this movie when he first like gets blown up and then it's more of like that kind of like skeletal thing looked pretty mm-hmm. cool because it was like just straight up stop motion stuff and i like oh yeah too. right yeah there was some stop motion in this too yeah so that was cool and i liked i mean we'll get into it with tokyo gore police but mm-hmm. with this one like the director like pulled back so for me you could see like a little bit more of the action and the fighting without being all close up Mm-hmm. So there was some like decent stuff there, and I felt like I got to see the creature a lot, which I really liked. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it really felt like somebody who like that was kind of their goal to do like cool effects, and mm-hmm. I mean, in addition to that, uh, you know, the characters are goofy. Um, the two electricians, uh, yeah. Tepe and Kamiya, but uh, I liked those guys. Yeah, they felt a little bit like bulk and skull from the old Power Rangers, <laughs> but um, uh-huh. I liked them. I found them entertaining. They're goofy, but it's fun to see like this horrifying, gross creature, and then contrasted with just these goofy guys who, when they see something, right. they're just like ah, ah, ah and run right. away. You know, this like goofy every man who's like in the worst situation imaginable. Yeah, and then Iria, you know, she's kind of the serious like i've dealt with this nothing surprises me kind of character so she has a little less character but i liked her as the hero and i thought that it was cool watching her jump around and fight mm-hmm. Zerum. yeah you know? i did too and even a little bit of humor from uh bob the ai robot thing <laughs> bob yeah it's me it's me bob you know mm-hmm. but yeah i i definitely had a lot of fun with this one it was very different from what i was expecting because again that video I had seen on Instagram oh. was just all of the grossest, weirdest parts of the movie. And so I went in expecting more of a horror film. And when it turned out, no, this is like an action adventure, crazy over the top sci-fi movie. Yeah. I actually kind of dug it. I mean, Milsey, I had this just knowing I 
when they finally like, was getting down to watch it, I was like, wait, this was that movie. Once I saw like the, the Kabuki mask, I was like, oh boy, here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and that same kind of feeling. And I was like, oh, it's kind of scaled back in that regard. But I was already enjoying myself at that point. I mean, it was, it was more sci-fi than I was expecting, which is always a plus in my book. Yeah. Yeah, and so. you know it's it's another one a little bit like Tetsuo where it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's only like ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Mm-hmm. So and just I love just all the ridiculous sci-fi of it, like just like the other dimension and the crystal generator thing, and mm-hmm. like when Iria ends up back in the real world and she's trapped there while the two electricians are caught in the zone with Zerum. And they are like, okay, we have to defend ourselves. Let's go through Iria's backpack and see what's in there. And they find, like, little weapons that they don't know how to use. And then there's just, like, a plastic container with, like, a giant cockroach-looking thing in it. Right. And they just, like, the one guy's like, oh, this must be her food that she eats. And, like, we're going to need food, so I'll eat this. And the other guy's like, oh, that's disgusting. Why would you eat a giant bug? And (laughs) I don't know, just, like, Mm -hmm. weird, crazy sci-fi shit like that. I totally get into yep. like totally unnecessary, but you kind of, you can't help but smile cause it's in there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, man, I would just say all around enjoyable for me for sure. I'm actually kind of curious to see what the sequel would be like. Yeah. I as well. am interested and I'll probably watch that coming up here soon. I did, uh, pop on YouTube and watch the first episode of the anime just cause oh. I was curious about it as well. Okay. And yeah, it's a prequel to the movie even more like sci-fi fantasy because in animation they can do pretty much anything they want. Mm-hmm. So it like takes place on this other planet where Iria is from and her, it's like her starting out as a bounty hunter police officer or whatever. And, uh, Bob is an actual character, like a person. Um, and he oh. dies in the first episode. So I didn't watch past that, but I'm assuming that they like upload his consciousness into a computer or something like that. And it's about like, uh, like all of these bounty hunter characters are like fighting over the uh, like the different bounties. Like it opens up with her catching this guy, and then another dude with green hair coming and like stealing her her bounty from her, and like going and claiming the money for himself. Okay, and so they like go on this rescue mission uh, because there's a bounty out for Zerum on who has like attacked this spaceship and like killed a bunch of the people on board. And uh, her brother and Bob both die at the hands of Zerum, which is pretty cool to see him animated as well. Just like that design from the movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. kind of interested in watching the rest of the show. It it has that cool, like, old school anime animation. It doesn't feel like too modern because it probably came out in, like, the early to mid 90s. Yeah. Um, I think you'd probably dig it. Nah, um, I'm actually kind of curious to check it out, to be honest. Yeah, I found the first one on YouTube. I, I'm the the others might be out there as well, but mm-hmm. no, I'll take a peek. Yeah, I I think uh, I think it's safe to say that I'm a Zerum fan. Yeah, <laughs> same here. Of all things, <laughs> yeah. who'd thunk? Yeah, so Instagram steered me right on that one. Yeah, I have to that's, send him a nice message. That's the second time I've bought a movie sight unseen because of a video that that guy has posted, and the first one did not go so well. Oh, which one was that? It was called Cryptic Plasm, and it is the lowest budget movie I've ever owned. (laughs) It's literally like some guy with a VHS camera, like shot on video with one of his buddies. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Your favorite. 
but it looked like it had some amazing special effects. And I guess for a guy doing it in his garage, it did, but <laughs> whew, uh, we'll not be revisiting that one for the show. So don't worry about that. Well, Hey, I might just have to put that one up there. Well, you would have to track down a copy to be able to watch it. So if you want to go to the trouble, be my guest. All right. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> All right. Uh, third and final film. Hit it. Uh, from 2008, we have Tokyo Gore Police. <laughs> Just based on, you know, the costumes and the crazy ideas and everything, again, I would have sworn that this must have been based on an anime or a manga, but again, original 100%. concept. Yes. Uh, I'm going to let you try and give us the plot synopsis for this one. Okay. Um, so, in the future, I think like um, the, one of the main takeaways is that the police department is has been privatized. Mm-hmm. And a portion of the police deal with uh, engineers, they're called, which are just creatures that are gross and kind of can sprout weird weapons and stuff from their bodies. Yeah, I believe the premise is they look and seem normal, but when they are injured, their injuries right. turn into yes. like crazy mutations. Yeah. So. With that, the movie follows, uh, I believe, what is her name? Ruka. Ruka. Who is um, kind of like their top, their top cop for taking care of these engineers. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, you know, her history is tied to them as well. And uh, calamity ensues from there. <laughs> yeah. This movie opens with. The police responding to a crazy guy in like the fifth floor of this tall building who is like holding people hostage and killing them with a chainsaw. And then they blow one of his arms off and then from the stump grows like a, a like a Tetsuo arm with a chainsaw yeah. coming out of it. I That's wish, how the movie opens. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do wish that you could actually like they didn't really show it grow and they just kind of pull away and then there's just suddenly there's a chainsaw arm there. Yeah. This one, I don't, I don't think it had the budget to show transformations, just the, uh, the result of them. Just the, the resulting grossness. Like I said, with the last movie, this, one of my early notes on this, like pretty quickly, it was like, it's just tons of close-ups. It's like one of those (laughs) kind of movies where, you know, it's like, please pull out so I can see what's going on type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, because pretty quickly, this guy's going nuts with the the chainsaw arms. Uh, she pulls, of all things, out of the trunk a rocket launcher that she oh, right. fires into the ground so that she can ride it up to the fifth floor or whatever. Like a fucking jetpack. Mm-hmm. 
So I was like, very quickly, I was like, not that I was any surprised because the thing is called Tokyo Gore Police, <laughs> you know, like there's t- zero surprise there, you know, so it gets, it gets wild very quick. Yeah. I mean, mutated chainsaw arm is the way the movie starts and it only gets fucking crazier from there. Yeah. I will say going along with what you said about the, uh, the, uh, the ups. there's, there's a couple things that really annoyed me about this movie. Mm-hmm. One is to a degree the close-ups like you were talking about. It's just you know this movie ha- was much more uh, out there even than Zerum with like the you know the the concepts. Oh, without a doubt. And there was so much crazy shit in the movie. It's like every effect had to be cheap because they were doing so many of them. I guess. Yeah. No, that Which, makes sense because I'd say this movie is too long. Because it's a good hour, 45. Hour and 40, yeah, 45-ish. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, like, my main problem with the movie is, unlike Zerum, where I liked the characters and I thought that they were fun and likable, this movie, I didn't really like anybody. Like, the main character is just that typical, like, she's basically got the attitude and the personality of, um, uh, what's the, what's the schoolgirl... With oh, the, um, the chain, Go-Go. yeah, Gogo Yabari from uh, Kill Bill. She basically has that look on her face the whole time. She never emotes. That attitude of just like, I have a dark past, so I'm always just scowling, and I never say anything, and there's no joy in my life, and there's no reason for you to like me, even though I'm the main character. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's tonally so weird. Like, a movie this bizarre in concept, it's like... I almost want the filmmaker to take his movie seriously because it just, it all feels like everything is just a wink and a nod. So I'm never invested in what's going on. Like there's crazy shit on screen to look at that. I'm sometimes like, Oh wow, that is wild. But then it's just like filmed and edited in such a gross, like early two thousands kind of way. I mean, this was 2008 where there's a lot of like, you know, if 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 somebody is mentally or like emotionally supposed to be like struggling with something, they visually get that across by filming the person just like swinging their head around and screaming. And then they play it in fast <laughs> yes. motion, you know, yes. to give the oh, idea of like this person's yeah. nuts. It actually doesn't even feel like it feels like 2002 or something, not even 2008. I was actually surprised it was that that new. Yeah, I was ex- expecting it to be older. It just has that feeling of like, like a film school student who yeah. wants to make like some crazy shocking movie, mm-hmm. and it's just like the shittiest editing techniques. Very and okay, so crazy thing about this one, uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, like I said earlier, uh, only an hour and seven minutes long, very simple, with only a couple of people in it. Took eighteen months to film this movie. I read this phrase in a couple different places, so I don't mean I don't know if this means like it was edited and special effects and all as well done in this amount of time, but multiple different sources online said that it was quote unquote shot and completed in two weeks, <laughs> and I believe it. Uh, I the what a bit of props I'll give it is like there's a lot of practical effects, like yeah. in every scene, it's like pretty abundant. So I, that would make me think like. Yeah, maybe like the filming part of it could be done that quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. 
But like stopping and thinking about it, like practical effects, I feel like there's a couple of different elements to a good practical effect. Sure. One, it has to look good visually. It has to be an interesting design. Mm -hmm. But then two, in action, it has to be, you know, somewhat convincing or at least filmed in a convincing way. And like I was saying about The Thing, uh, John Carpenter's movie, maybe some of the effects aren't 100% realistic looking because it's like, you know, made of rubber and everything, but they cover it in slime and they like film it in shadows so that it it gives a feeling of realism. And Mm -hmm. this movie, in addition to not having like the tone and likable characters and a plot that I really care about to like have me in the moment, some of the designs for these, the you know, mutations and all the practical effects look cool, but they all feel like immobile foam. Like for sure. There's no movement to the majority of them. And they're just like stiff and silly looking. And when characters move, they wiggle and Oh, there's a lot of wiggling. So like conceptually, I think this movie is very strong, but I think like, you know, putting it on film and putting it out there on a on a screen to be watched, mm-hmm. it is very amateurish and just uh, it just put off a vibe. Yeah, that I like checked me out a lot of the time, and oh. it did feel too long. Oh, Millsy, I was pretty much checked out the entire time. I'll come out and say it between just the that initial scene, just the over the top nature, the way it was filmed, and that it. The whole movie just felt like a bad music video. Yeah. Especially even even once you add in that like they cut to the the police dispatcher who was like some kind of like funky radio DJ or something. Mm-hmm. And then there would be all those like kind of like wannabe RoboCop satire That's commercials. Exactly what I thought. Oh. I have that written down here. Commercials reminiscent of RoboCop. Oh, it was like I was like you guys haven't earned the you know, the opportunity to even do this. Like, why why even try? It just felt every, so many parts of it just felt out of place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it was going for that, like ridiculous, crazy, just over the top. Yeah. Yeah. So like I can give it a little bit of leeway, but like I say, I just, I wasn't invested in it. Mm -hmm. Give me the craziest fucking world with so, so special effects that you want. But I have to at least have a character that I like and whose story I'm interested in yeah. following. Doesn't and the not to speak of the lead actress's acting, but the character she was playing was just oh, yeah. completely unlikable. She and, could be a good actress. Yeah, they didn't give her anything to work with. Yeah. But then, uh, there's so many like odd choices, odd decisions. Even like when they start to explain things with like her father, who was the cop and like. The whole sniper assassination thing. Do you remember all those like weird, like kind of like cartoony bits of artwork they mm-hmm. would show as the guy was telling the story? Yeah, like, like really poorly drawn. Very, very crude. Like I don't even know why they were included. It's just again, that was just like adding to the runtime. I was like, oh, this is like a chore to get through. Yeah. Thankfully, and- this was the first one I watched because. I was just like, oh, I was like, will it ever end? It was just, you know, then it gets into like the, you know, there's plenty of weird sexual overtone things to some of the monster stuff where I just oh, kind yeah. of roll my, I roll well, my it's eyes like, at. So a little more of the premise. Um, so the, um, the engineers, these people who 
as we said, when they're injured, they mutate. So like a guy gets his arm cut off and he grows a chainsaw arm. Or there's a guy who gets sliced across the face, like across the bridge of the nose under his eyes. And he he knows that he's infected, so he pulls the top of his head off. And then he has like an exposed brain and two gun barrels grow out where his mm-hmm. eyes are. Mm-hmm. Like you have that kind of crazy shit. That all comes from... I couldn't believe this backstory. Let me break it down for you. <laughs> so the chief of police wants to privatize the police force so that they aren't governed and they can basically do whatever needs to be done to stop crime. And the one person who is really rallying to try and stop this is a police officer who happens to be the father of the main character when she was a little girl. So far, um, so good. Yes. Yeah. So the police chief decides we need to get rid of this guy so we're unopposed so they hire an assassin to kill the main character's father so they don't have this person opposing their political views or whatever the assassin does his job kills her dad and then he in turn had someone hired to kill him i guess so they couldn't connect the assassin back Mm -hmm. to the police so she the main character now that her father's dead, and I guess her mother committed suicide, there was a, a flashback to her like slitting her wrists. Yes. There was a lot of wrist cutting in this yeah. movie. Right. The uh so her parents are gone. So the police chief who had her father assassinated, like adopts her, I guess, and raises her as his own, and she becomes like their best uh engineer hunter or whatever. Meanwhile, the son of the assassin who was also assassinated grows up to be the villain of the movie who is, like, where the engineers come from. Uh, Every engineer that they kill, uh, they find a key-shaped tumor inside their body, and the only way to kill one is to sever the tumor. And so the where these tumors come from is the villain, he was studying, he was, like, a scientist, and he was working on a project where he was studying the DNA of like a whole bunch of serial killers. Like you see, I think Ed Gein and Charles Manson's names on mm-hmm. some vials of allegedly DNA. And like he goes nuts, I forget exactly why, and injects himself with all of the DNA of the different serial killers. And that turns him into the first engineer who I guess then has the ability to like secrete these tumors. And then since the tumors are shaped like keys, he like puts them up to someone's body and a keyhole appears and then he puts the tumor in them and turns it and then like a piece of their body just like opens up in gory manner and he puts the tumor in them. Oh yeah. So even that is like ridiculous, but I think it's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. And to your sexual overtone idea, uh there's a part where they go to like it's kind of like a strip club brothel where they have these women who are engineers and they've been mutated in horrifying ways and like guys with weird fetishes go there and like pay to, you know, I guess have sex with them. There's like one girl who's like a snail girl with her eyes protruding out of her head on stalks. Yep. Uh, there's a girl who, I, the, the chair one, do you know what even that was supposed to be? Uh, I mean, that was supposed to be like the final one they see and supposed to be, I guess, the most impressive, but it was disgusting. Yeah, it was pretty gross, actually. It was like, imagine a female body 
transformed into a chair with no arms and head. And then yeah, it gets was, weirder from there. It does. And I was very much at that, that particular point. I was like, Oh God, when does it end? Yeah. Just like, so I please. get it. You're trying yes. to be shocking and it's working, but yeah. really must we? Yeah. Like some things, you know, you don't have to just cause you can, doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Phew. I don't know. I don't know how much more of the movie, like the actual plot we need to get yeah, into. Like if you really want to see how fucking crazy this movie gets, mm-hmm. by all means, go ahead and rent it or something. Give it a watch because we as crazy as the shit is that I've just described, we have only scratched the surface yeah. with this movie. I feel like this one from what I read too, like this one is like pre- has pretty positive reviews. Kind of like what I was saying with Tetsuo was that mm-hmm. You know, you go in expecting a certain thing and it delivers on that, regardless of how, like, perverted or gory that is. Well, this is one of a small subsection of movies that actually, like, obviously the only point of this thing is to be, like, shocking and crazy. Um, And the actual accepted term for the subgenre is splatter film. I mean, this is a movie that's just, like, blood spraying out of everything and weird, gross mutations and just, like, over-the-top stuff constantly. If you've seen any of, like, the good classic, like, Kurosawa samurai movies with the blood splattering, like, it's that, like, turned up to 11. Yeah, at the end of the movie, a guy literally, like, can propel himself with the blood spraying out of his (laughs) severed limbs like a rocket engine. Mm. Uh, um, So the funny thing is... A uh, number of years ago, I think it was like 2008, because I went back and I looked at my letterboxed and uh, I was able to find my old uh, reviews. Uh, there was a movie that came out that at the time I remember thinking like, oh, this looks fucking crazy and awesome. And a friend and I rented it and it was called Machine Girl. And yeah. it's basically about a girl who I think her parents were killed or she was wronged in some way. And one of her arms gets cut off. So she, like, fashions a machine gun and attaches it to her stump, and then she goes to get revenge. So it's a little bit like Planet Terror with the gun limb, but then it's also like a Tarantino kind of over-the-top revenge movie. And, like, the poster is this, you know, Japanese schoolgirl with a machine gun for an arm, and I was like, this is going to be awesome. And then I remember watching it and being really disappointed because of just how shitty Mm -hmm. it looked and how bad the effects were. And it's like, cool premise, but sad execution. Right. Around the same time, uh, I was in the store Hot Topic, uh, which I used to frequent yeah, back you in are. the day. Yeah, you did. And they had like a small DVD section, and they had a movie called Meatball Machine. And it was another <laughs> Japanese film, and the same friend and I were like, oh, man, this sounds crazy. Let's buy it and watch it. And similarly, it's like... A weird, gross-out, like, these little aliens that infect people, and it's just, like, crazy gore and everything. Like, cool mm-hmm. in premise, but really disappointing in execution. Mm. Uh, so I had, those two, I had those two experiences in my past. Little did I know, after I watched Tokyo Gore Police, I went online and I was doing some research about this movie, and it turns out that uh, the director of this film did the special effects on both of those movies. Okay. All right. And while he was working on one of them, the studio head came to him and was like, hey, would you want to make your own movie? And then that's where this came from. So Yeah, I see that. Weird, unfortunate connection. Had I known that he was related to those two films, I don't think I would have been as 
you know, excited to dive into this one, but I mean, without doing any research, I'm sure people love this movie. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there are there's a certain subsection of people that are going to yeah. seek out and enjoy these kinds of movies, and that's fine. Sure, of course. It's just there is a barrier for entry for me with the quality mm-hmm. where it's like, yes, you have all the craziest ideas in the world, but it just Yeah, how it, well did you pull it off? Yeah. Like this as an anime or as a manga, mm-hmm. I could see being really fun. Well, makes makes more sense, quite frankly. A hundred percent. But it's a it's a thing and it's out there. Yeah. Tokyo Gore Police. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't believe this has been translated into a manga or an anime, which surprises me. It's got to have some sequels, though, I'm sure, right? Uh, I didn't see anything, but maybe. Mm. The one other thing about this movie and about the director specifically, Yoshihiro Nishimura, is uh, <laughs> I don't really feel like he deserves this distinction because, again, Ideas are one thing, and putting them into practice is another. But apparently he is popularly known as the Tom Savini of Japan, <laughs> which I don't feel like he has earned. Uh-huh. Yeah, because a, Tom Savini is like one of the best makeup like a, and yeah. you know practical effects yeah. artists there is. He is like legitimately at like legend status. Yeah. And this guy, Yoshihiro Nishimura, uh, again... He's got imagination for days, mm-hmm. but but you got to have the skills to back it up, and I I don't think he has them. And I I couldn't put it any better, Mills. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. Among his other films, though, if you're interested, are Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl, mm-hmm. Mutant Girls Squad, and mm-hmm. he directed uh, the letter Z segment in ABCs of Death. Oh. All right, all right. I tried watching the ABCs of Death one time. You know what it is, yes? I do. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, it's a horror anthology film, uh, and it's a collection of 26 short films about death, and each one is named after, you know, a word that starts with the next letter of the alphabet. So there's 26 of these short films. They're like five to seven minutes apiece. Add up all 26 of those. It's pretty long. I think I made it, like, to the letter G, and I was just fucking done. I was like, I can't just sit here and watch like a new story start every five minutes. I can't handle it. So <laughs> I never made it to Z to uh, know if his segment was any good. But all right. There you go. Very good. You want to talk some posters? Yeah. Let's do let's it. Do. Well, if we go chronologically, chronological, but forget it. If we go in order, <laughs> <laughs> order of release. Oh, it's too late. Uh, so Tetsuo, the Iron Man. There's a billion posters for this mm-hmm. out there. Uh, we didn't go with the one, the imagery I feel like I'm most familiar with because I think that that's mainly an American VHS box. It's like a three-quarter view of not Tetsuo, but the other guy, well, like is it what's transformation. In the, is it what's in the bottom right-hand corner of this one? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, what, I, that's all I know. I know the name and that exact image right there. So there are literally so many different freaking posters for this. Uh, We just kind of picked one that seems like it might have been the theatrical release poster. Uh, You can check it out on our Instagram post for this episode. Um, It's basically Tetsuo looking at the viewer with Uh a whole bunch of Japanese text all over the place. 
feels this feels like a poster like some teenager would have in their room. <laughs> oh, for sure. You would have been really cool if you had this in your uh, college yeah. dorm room back <laughs> like, oh, in the oh, uh, early 2000s. Right. Oh, you don't know Tetsuo, the Iron Man? Let me tell you all about it. <laughs> I don't know. Not a lot to say about this one. It's just yeah. like a screen grab from the movie with, uh, obviously, I can't read the text, but a bunch of text sure. all around there, it. There, there's a lot. And you know how we go on and on about text on posters. So Yeah. <laughs> there's there's even, here. it looks like a little word balloon coming out of him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, of all the crazy imagery in the movie, like... They're, they could have chosen something more yeah. interesting for right. this this poster. It, it should have almost even just been like a single shot, like any shot of him like in human or in the, ro- you know, part robot, robot form, form or whatever, like filling the poster and just say like Tetsuo the Iron Man at the bottom like that sold, you know? Yeah. Like, that's going to put across much better than this. Yeah, this is like, you know, it's harsh lighting coming from the left and all the robotic shit on his face is on the right. So you can't even really see much of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. This isn't a poster where I would look at it and say I need to see that movie no. where there is obviously imagery in the film that I saw online in past years and thought I I want to see that someday. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. same. Let's go on to the next one. Zerum. Zerum. Uh This one is much more pleasing for me just because. My boy Zerum is there, big, <laughs> yeah. large, and proud. Um, Would you consider that for a Halloween costume? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see you with that little kabuki oh, face the, on your hat. Milzy, I'll tell you right now. There could be some day, me and you are at a convention like we usually are, sitting, drawing. If I were to ever see a Zerum walk by... <laughs> yeah, like He's getting chased down because I'm going to get my picture taken one. That is awesome. <laughs> I love it. Oh. Uh, oh man, and then Megan can dress up as Iria. Oh, I'll have to tell her. See, I mean, I, I'll, I'll just tell her. I'm like, hey, Millsy said it, so it's like, <laughs> just show her this picture and say you need to wear this for Halloween. <laughs> I'll try to explain, but this is what we're doing for Halloween. <laughs> and then when she questions, you'd be like, oh, that guy in the background with the scarf and the giant hat—that's me. <laughs> right. Then she'd be like, oh, okay. Oh, well, if Millsy likes it, so I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, this is, like, kind of standard, but I dig it. I don't love the background, whatever they've got yeah. going on there. No. Um, it looks like someone just took a blur tool in Photoshop yeah, and took yeah, a much. photo of something that you can't tell what it is yeah. now and just, like, dragged the blur tool all, all over mm-hmm. it. But this this could get tweaked and to be pretty good. I actually do like that the, the main chunk of the, the writing there is all in white, so I think that stands out pretty good. So. Mm-hmm. Unusual font. It almost Very. feels like... like Middle Eastern Indian or like yeah, Egyptian yeah, no, it, or something. It's real angular and funky looking. Yeah, it's definitely got that vibe. So um, but yeah, really cool. not a lot of text. It's all kind of centralized at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Clear look of area and her cool outfit and, you know, half body shot of Zerum. Not the most, you know, unusual or interesting poster concept in the world. Right. But, you know, it's relatively pleasing. Yeah. I feel like if you if you someone were to give you like high res copies of like just the the two aspects the two characters separate here and you could like remake this poster modern in modern times right now it could look a lot better because mm-hmm. it's yeah it does have like that nineties kind of stink of early computer effects <laughs> yeah but uh I don't know. all in all not bad yeah, it works for me. Uh, then we got Tokyo Gore Police, TGP. <laughs> yeah. Tokyo is burning. We got, mm-hmm. uh, 
This feels like um, there's a lot going on here, Mills. This is a hundred percent. I mean, it came out in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. uh, so it's right in that time frame of like, you know, direct to video, shitty Photoshop yeah. artwork. Yep. And I mean, the movie just lends itself to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you're to assume like the the ocean is red with blood, but she's standing on it. Is that so, the ocean, or is that just like rocky ground? It weirdly gives the impression that the movie is like in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah. When it's not. Because the sky is filled with smoke and the ground Mm -hmm. is all covered in blood. And there's not much in the way of buildings behind her. Like there's a little bit. The thing takes place in a populated city. Yeah. So I feel like it's misrepresenting itself a bit. And then it's just, you know, the uh, attractive, you know, Japanese girl in a kind of leather version of a schoolgirl outfit. Yeah. Like they they mashed up a schoolgirl and a cop outfit, yeah. And it does look that ridiculous. But actually, one thing I will I didn't really touch on, but they show in the background of this, there's like a samurai helmet, which the police actually their outfits are like that kind of like cop mm-hmm. samurai ish kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. I it's again I like that idea. They didn't like execute execute it as well as they could have. Yeah, just but, as a costume choice, though, I think it's interesting. It's better yeah. than just normal police outfits. Exactly. So I thought, you know, that that could have been pushed back, pushed more and been pretty cool. But. but, I mean, as much crazy visuals as there are in this movie, couldn't we have gotten something a little more interesting yeah. on this poster than just her standing there? Exactly. I mean, it's like, at what point do you call a movie Tokyo Gore Police and then you don't show any number of, like, outlandish things that are in it? Yeah, it feels like the only reason that the ground she's standing on is red is because they were like, oh, shit, there's no gore on this poster. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. I mean, it's got the polish. I mean, it looks modern, but everything that's going on is just another of the endless examples of bad Photoshop posters. Yeah. I mean, just because I I like, I mean, I like Zerum. I'll take the Zerum poster over the other two. And I do think it's just, it's, it's simpler and it's, you know. It's got what you need. Yeah, I mean, it's not the best poster in the world, but I'd give it like uh, three. Oh, here we go. Three feet of kabuki face tentacle penis. <laughs> Versus uh, two for Tokyo Girl Police and one for uh, Tetsuo. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate the Tetsuo poster. It's just uninspired. Mm. I mean, for what it's. I'd probably give two to both of them. Two right. feet of kabuki face tentacle penis for Tokyo okay. Gore Police and Tetsuo the Iron Man. There we go. Fair enough. So, there you go. Very good. All right. Well, Mills, somehow yeah. we've made it to the end. <laughs> we, we made it through. How easy is it going to be for you to rank these ones? It's so easy. I could just go right now. Okay. Go for it. Tokyo Gore Police. It's being trebucheted into the sun. <laughs> it's the burn. Um, just be, you know, maybe lack of options, maybe not, but I'm going to borrow Tetsuo and I'll easily buy Zerum. Oh, I'm a little surprised just because Tetsuo is such like an unusual pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. And like I I didn't love Tetsuo. I also didn't really enjoy Tokyo Gore Police for different reasons. Like, I feel like Tokyo Gore Police had 
plenty of opportunities to be watchable, but it just like ruins all of them. <laughs> yes. But I wasn't sure if like the somewhat more modern aesthetic and, you know, more accessible storyline would maybe bump that one up for you. But uh, as it turns out, we are exactly the same. I'm My going man. to buy Zerum, easy choice. Yep. Borrow Tetsuo the Iron Man just because I appreciate it more than Tokyo Gore Police, which is going it's, to be my burn. Exactly. Yeah, Tokyo like, Gore Police just, you know, it's for a certain group of people and I am not one of them. No, not I'm not even close. Yeah. Tetsuo I could see, like Tetsuo was like interesting in its like cultural impact and the time it came out and everything. I mean, I feel like we pretty much covered that, but then you get Zerum, which is just like more our style of movie, period. Yeah, 100%. So. I, I could watch 10, 10 more Zerums. Yes. That, that movie was just like a style and a tone that I really enjoyed. Nice. Look at us, Mills. Yeah. I mean, this one, this one could have been off the rails. <laughs> I was not sure what to expect from this episode. I really wasn't. Just because I, I know you like stuff a little more outlandish than I do, but... <laughs> But you you described it best because of how like the presentation is like that like yes you like the crazy but it's all depends on the quality. Mm-hmm. So for the way you described it makes total sense to me. Yeah, it just feels like Tokyo Gore Police like had all the things that the guy needed to make like an entertaining movie and he squandered them. Mm-hmm. Whereas he only, he only had two and... weeks to shoot. Man, what are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Uh, and whereas Tetsuo, you know, you can feel in like the low budget nature and everything of it, that it was like, you know, a a struggle the whole way along. Mm -hmm. And while the person, the director's vision for that movie with like how, as we said, avant-garde and like just weirdly edited, it is like, it's, it's not necessarily my cup of tea. Um, he at least had a vision and seemingly accomplished it despite the odds, whereas the Tokyo Gore Police guy, like I say, just, like, squandered, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. like, a great opportunity to take his ideas and make something noteworthy out of them. I agree. It's like, I don't see you ever being, like, another Tetsuo getting made just like that by someone else versus Tokyo Gore Police is, like, not that unique, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Yeah. Tetsuo definitely feels like more of like those like it's only like the perfect storm of people and timing and everything that got that movie made. Yeah. And got it into the eyeballs of so many people. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm with you. We're, right, we're on the same page right. there. Go team. Wasn't necessarily expecting it, but, uh, you know. <laughs> same here. There we go. Surprising <laughs> each other once again. Oh, the beauty of the show. Yeah. So, uh. As we mentioned at the top, this is uh, the final episode of season two mm-hmm. of uh, Triple Threat Theater. If you can believe it. Yeah. Um, so we will once again be taking a scheduled break of six weeks, which don't shed too many tears. That's only the the weight of two episodes instead of right. one of the show. Mm-hmm. And we'll be working away while we're gone. So don't worry. Yeah. So that should, if my math is correct put us at a uh, release date of Wednesday, February 5th, 2020 for uh, episode 25, the first episode of season three. Absolutely. 
And that episode, in addition to being the first episode of the year 2020 and the first episode of season three, is also special for another reason. It is. We're going to start off season three with a bang with uh, another guest. We are, indeed. Your friend Uh, and mine, Mr. Joel Olar. Yeah, Joel Olar joining us for uh, God knows what. I mean, we'll find out momentarily. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) He wanted it, so he's about to get it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Do we do we just go for it? We got to find out let's, what let's uh, just, what he's what he's going to watch. It. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a maximum of two hundred and four, correct? Two hundred and four different trios locked and loaded. Two all four. that number. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yep. Twenty five. Oh gosh, early, early in the game. All right, 25. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh. Yes. Definitely. Oh, Lizzie, can, can I announce this one with my with my Italian roots? Oh, please, go ahead. Uh the next episode of Triple Threat Theater. Just give us just give us the, oh, uh, yeah. the local oh, yeah. name. Uh episode 25. Cattiva ragazzi. Cattiva ragazzi. <laughs> <laughs> we surely just defended somebody. Uh, yes, probably. But. Uh yeah. So, episode 25. Wow. Uh, theme 25, 25, 25 is going to be the uh, the 25th episode. Oh, Interesting. Boy. I mean, there's a there's no chance we'll ever get that again. Yeah. Join us in uh, six weeks' time. Just a just a little month and a half wait, and uh, join the two of us and Joel Lolar as mm-hmm. we discuss Cattivi Ragazzi. <laughs> Very good. And by all means, try and figure out what that means in the meantime. Yeah. I would love to hear some guesses for that uh, one. I love it. Here we go. We did mm-hmm. it again. Yep. Well, Mills. Dax. It's time time for us to check out. Yep. For Triple Threat Theater. I am Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.